0: Romans chapter 9 in your Bibles, if you would, please. Romans chapter number 9. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are great chapters. I'm actually excited about teaching these three chapters to you. And I'm excited about it because it details God's dealings with Israel. Uh, These are key chapters for you to understand, okay? Please, please understand that when I tell you this. It's key that you understand what these three chapters are saying, what they're talking about, the context, and all the rest of that. Because if you don't understand, if you don't get a hold of Romans 9, 10, and 11, you will not understand biblical prophecy, you will not understand Israel and the church, and you definitely won't have answers for Calvinism. And I think that heinous doctrine, replacement theology, I said it like I meant it, a heinous doctrine, that now the church has replaced Israel and the promises that God gave to Israel now apply to the church. They build their roots out of Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, That ridiculous doctrine of Calvinism, which is literally men's way of trying to be as smart as God. It's a laughable doctrine. It's ridiculous. It makes absolutely no sense at all. It doesn't stand up to reason and it will not stand up to biblical scrutiny. Calvinists say this, forgive me if this is repetitive for some of you, but Calvinists essentially, just to boil it down as quickly as I can, Calvinism would say that God in eternity past picked and choosed who can and can't go to heaven. That is a ridiculous doctrine. In other words, God allowed some people to exist, gave you life, because you're all the offspring of God, whether you're saved or not, which we'll get into in Romans chapter 9. You're the offspring of God. That doesn't make you a son of God. You got your life from God. Every human being on the planet did. So for God to give somebody life, to allow them to come into existence, to bring them in his God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, and his sovereignty to bring you into existence with the ultimate plan and his choice of you spending eternity in the lake of fire does not stand up to reason against who God is. That is the most ridiculous doctrine I've ever heard in my life. If I believed that God determined everything in eternity past, I would have absolutely no motivation even to serve God. What is the point? Why would I ever witness? I mean, why would you ever feel the conviction of getting saved? Like, I don't know, I'm either elected or I'm not, you know. Somehow, irresistible grace at some point is going to flood over you and override your human will because they say the human will is so depraved you can't even make the choice to trust the Lord as your Savior, which goes directly against what the Bible even says. If we confess our sins, you've got a choice in it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. It is 100% your choice to accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. You reject it, you go to hell. You accept it, you reject it, you go to hell. You accept it, you go to heaven. Your choice. What are you going to do with it? He did everything it takes. It's ridiculous to me to think that God sat in eternity past and picked and chose. All right, so Romans 9, 10, and 11, we're not going to rush through. All right, so I, I'm, I'm sorry if I go too slow for you, but uh, I think as long as we're getting some good stuff out of it, it'll be okay. All right, I'll do my best. I got quite a bit prepared for tonight, and as I was kind of fine-tuning it all this, after, or this morning, I said, you know what, I'm never going to make it through all this. So here we go, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Father, we love you tonight. We ask you as we get into this to please, God, please guide me and direct me. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please bring back to my mind those things that I've studied, and I pray you'd Give me the wisdom that I need, because I need it. I pray you give me the wisdom I need to lay these things out and explain them in such a way that will help your folks understand the doctrine that's taught and understand the truths of these things. And and Lord, why we believe the doctrine that we believe, help them to get a hold of the right Bible doctrine, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. First of all, what jumps right out at me, and I can't help it because I'm a preacher, okay? This has nothing to do with Calvinism. Well, it actually might. (laughs) I say the truth. Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. So let me just hit on this real quick since we're here. And I'm a preacher and I can't help it. You ought not be a lying Christian. You know what the Bible says in John chapter 8? You know who is the, the father of lies? He's a liar from the beginning he's the father of it. You ought not be a lying Christian. You ought to be a man of your word, gentlemen. You ought to be a woman of your word, ladies. I mean, you shouldn't be a liar. I know we use the excuses, you know, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar and all that kind of stuff. We use Bible, you know, to justify our sins sometimes. But Paul tells you in the book of Ephesians that you're supposed to put away lying and speak every man the truth with his neighbor. So that's why sometimes you just can't say nothing. (laughs) You just walk away. But you ought to be people of honesty. I cannot, I can't stand it when somebody lies to me. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Notice something else. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Something else every Christian ought to do. You ought to live by your conscience. God gave you a conscience for a reason. We have a generation with a desensitized conscience. Sin is so much in your face 24-7 all the time, and it has become so widely accepted in our culture That we have gotten desensitized to sin. Sin is still sin. Abomination is still abomination. It shouldn't be a joke. It shouldn't be something we're okay with. It shouldn't be something we watch for entertainment. You shouldn't be a part of it in any way, shape, or form. You ought to have a sensitive conscience. Do not deaden your conscience. The Apostle Paul lived by his conscience. Let me show you some of these verses. Go back to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter number 23. You know, your conscience will tell you something ain't right. In other words, like Brother Lentz said it to me years ago, and I never forgot it. He said, you might not know what it is, but you sure enough know what it ain't. You know why a lot of you wound up in this church? You went by your conscience. You, you didn't know what it was. You couldn't have sat back and said, well, the King James Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired, preserved words of God. Did you hear how I said all that? Inerrant, infallible, inspired He's a dual inspirationist. Preserved. Amen. Words. Words. Every word of God. You might not have known that, but you sat in churches where they didn't believe the Bible, and you said, oh, something ain't right. Yeah. I had a lady contact me this week There was a real blessing to my heart, man. She was very honest. She said, uh, Pastor, I've had... Uh, Learning disabilities, I've had, uh, I think, uh, 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 cerebral palsy or MS or something like that my whole life. I finished high school and I had to work at it and I finished late and I got made fun of my whole life and I'm in church. And the pastor told me that I can't understand the Bible. I don't have the capacity to understand it. And that a lot of the Bible ain't true anyways. And then she begins teaching things, she begins teaching things that go directly contrary to the Bible, and I know it's wrong. And she said, I might not be a Baptist, but I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and I believe the words of God, and I want to come to your church because you preach the words of God, and I can get fed in your church since you preach the word of God. Man, what a blessing. You know what? You're welcome at my church. We'll be glad to have you. And I'll guarantee you one thing. God Almighty will sit there and teach you. While you sit there, God Almighty will teach you the words of God. And you'll know no more doctrine than that idiot who was supposedly thought, or you called pastor, not your pastor, you called pastor, that idiot who had to put you down because you challenged her. Because she challenged God. And you had the common sense and your conscience to know that ain't right. Well, you're welcome here because you're not going to find this pastor correct in this book by the grace of God, ever. And if I do, fire me. Okay? There you go. So uh, Acts chapter 23, look at the Apostle Paul, verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. You know what Paul did? He lived by his conscience before God. He knew between him and God that he was doing everything that he was supposed to do as far as God showed him. And when God showed him something, he did what he was told to do. Watch what happens. The high priest Ananias commanded him that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God, smite thee, thou whited wall. How's that for a preacher? That's my kind of preacher right there, man. It's modern day preachers. You know, everybody wants the modern day preachers that are so, you know, mealy-mouthing and sweet and all the rest of that stuff. I like a guy like that, man. He gets hit by a soldier. You do understand more than likely he was spitting blood. Smite him on the mouth. It wasn't like... Like these modern day guys, you know. He got, he got busted. And he turns around and says, God smite you, you white wall." That's a preacher right there. Verse 3. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for thou sittest to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. His mind was sharp on top of the fact that his mouth was throbbing, and he could feel that pain. He, he, he wasn't wanting for words at all. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Watch this. Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil against, uh, of the ruler of thy people. What a conscience! you just busted me in the mouth and I call you a whited wall? (laughs) Probably call you more than that in process of coming after you. And his conscience smote him because he said, you were vile on the high priest like that. He said, oh, there's a verse that matches that and I was wrong. Forgive me. What a conscience, man. Look at Acts chapter 24. Verse 16. Acts twenty four sixteen And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You should exercise yourself to have a pure, clean conscience. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, look at verse 15. Showing you a conscience. This is is the Gentiles by nature doing things contained in the law. How? By their conscience. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts. You see this? Watch this. Their conscience is bearing witness. But their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So here's how that goes. Well, I'm not getting drunk. Just having a couple of social drinks. Oh, your thoughts, excuse, because your conscience smites you. Here's how I know your conscience smites you. You came over to my house and sat down, and I went and said, "You guys want a beer?" Open up the fridge and went and gave you. you know what you'd do. You'd be oh, what? Oh, so you know what's wrong. Your conscience. Don't kill your conscience. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. You deaden your conscience, you get farther and farther from God. Now, here's what you've got to know about your conscience you've got to make sure that that conscience is tuned to the Bible. Because the problem is, religion can overactivate the conscience. There's ditches on both sides of the road. I've met people that think stuff's wrong that ain't wrong. Because they heard it preached somewhere. And I'm well, where do you get that from? Now I never I never encourage somebody to sin against their conscience. People have come here and said, Well, I don't believe it's right for a woman to wear pants. They should wear skirts all the time, because the Bible says in Deuteronomy twenty two that a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man. You know what I say? Okay. Then don't wear pants. Why? Because of their conscience. I never teach them like, oh, kill your conscience, oh, that ain't right. But when they get to a point where they want to ask, I say, well, let's just find out what the Bible says about it. You want to know what the Bible says about it? And then you give them Bible on it, and then you let them settle between them and God and their conscience what they think is right or wrong. I'm not going to teach somebody to violate their conscience because their standard is higher than mine. That doesn't intimidate me. I could care less if you got a higher standard than I got. That's great. And if your higher standard is ridiculous, oh, that's just so stupid. I can't believe that they, you know how they what they believe. They're so stupid. Well, how do you know they're stupid? Maybe some people, maybe some people can't go to Applebee's. Because the bar's in the center and they got to walk by the bar and they have a problem with alcohol in the past. And so for them, they can't go to Applebee's. Now, now we all know the we all know the back and forth on that, right? Like, okay, you're not gonna go to Applebee's, so do you go to the gas station? Do you go to Walmart? Do you go to Meyer? Do you go to Kroger, right? Uh, it doesn't bother me a bit to go to Applebee's. I particularly, for me, I always say, yeah, I don't want to sit in the bar area. I want I want to sit in one of these booths. That's that's for me. Because I'm a preacher. Because the way the devil works is the one time I go I I've never sat at the bar, by the way, but you know, sometimes it's in the bar area and it's like, you know, I really it's not a big deal. But what if that one idiot walks in that's just been dying to catch something on me and then they can go say he was sitting in the bar and spread this stuff. So to have my conscience void of events toward God and men, I make sure that I separate myself from that because I'm a pastor, because you matter to me, because my testimony to you matters to me. So I don't sit in the bar area. Does that make sense? But I don't go to certain restaurants because they're more of a bar than they are a restaurant. I'm just not comfortable. So I don't go. That's my conscience. You can roll your eyes all you want. I don't care what you think. That's between me and the Holy Spirit of God. I live by my conscience. Don't you know sometimes the Holy Spirit of God will poke your conscience about something and you won't even know exactly why, but you better listen to it. And you'll find out later why. But also don't get so hyperactive on your conscience that you can't even operate in this world. God, Jesus didn't say, Lord, I want you to take them out of the world. He said, I want you to keep them from the evil that is in the world. That's a hard line to walk. You understand that? You've got you to gotta go to work tomorrow. Don't quit your job because your boss is a cusser. What's wrong with you? Well, the guys on the crew just talk so bad all the time. Well, what, 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 do you th- what did you think was going to happen? You know, nowadays the women talk worse than the guys do. So, I mean, what are you, how are you going to get away from it? You can't go you know, into some little cocoon and become, you know, Amish you gotta, you got to figure out how to operate in this world. You want to make sure your conscience is tuned to the book so that you don't get too carried away in religion and you don't get too close to the world and too close to the sin in the world and start violating your conscience. And don't ever teach your kids to violate their conscience. Some of you parents, if your kids have a higher standard than you, why would you kill that? Why wouldn't you just quietly adjust a little bit? 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. First Timothy 1.18, I didn't tell you the verse. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Watch it, holding faith and what? Which some, having put away, concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Let me give you one more, First Timothy 3.9. First Timothy 3.9 talking about the deacons says they're to hold the mystery of the faith in a what your conscience is important Romans chapter 9 now look at this the end of this verse verse 1 my conscience also bearing me witness how did i show you that verse over there about the gentiles having by nature things written in their conscience did i show you that That's somebody that doesn't even have the Holy Ghost. This lost world has a conscience. They're not even saved. Without the law, things are written in their hearts. The lost world watches you. You better believe they watch you. They'll know something's different about you, and then they find out what you are. You're a Christian. You're a preacher. And all of a sudden, they go from watching you to hyperactively watching you. You know what it is? There's a conscience in them that knows right and wrong and they're looking at you to try to see if they can punch holes in your life. So now all of a sudden you've got to take it to another level. You've got to make sure that you're careful around this lost world because there's a conscience in you and there's a conscience in them as well. The difference with you is you've got a witness inside of you the Holy Ghost. You've got a little extra help. Man, that is a blessing to me. I need that extra help. Verse 2, he says this. So here's what he's being honest with them about from his conscience. And the Holy Ghost of God is bearing witness to it. He says, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my kinsmen, my brethren according to the flesh. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you know what he just said? Obviously, who is he talking about? This isn't rocket science, right? It's obviously Israel. My brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Not my brethren in the churches. This is not spiritual brethren he's referring to in this verse. He is talking about my race, the Jews. And he said, I have a constant broken heart. I'm telling you the truth. I am constantly grieved. I am constantly vexed because I wish that the Jews would receive the Lord Jesus Christ and they won't receive him. He said, I want to see them saved so bad that I would voluntarily go to hell for eternity if the Jews would accept the gospel. I have never had that kind of burden for any soul in my life. I just want you to know I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. The Holy Ghost also bearing witness with what I just said. I have never felt that level of burden. That actually makes me feel convicted this evening. He that goeth forth and, you know the verse, bearing precious seed? He that goeth forth and, can you fill in the blank? weepeth bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with him. You know that infamous passage, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest? You know that passage? You ever read the context of that? Jesus looked upon them and had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. When he's looking at the multitudes coming to Jesus, needing some help, religion wasn't doing it for them. The world wasn't doing it for them. The success of the world wasn't hitting the spot. Love and romance, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, job, career, sports, you know, Facebook likes, Instagram watches, whatever it is that you got going on nowadays, it wasn't hitting the spot. But there was this man, Jesus, and something was different about him, and he was ministering to their hearts, and he was was preaching to them in such a way that captivated their minds, and they were saying, there's something to this. And they're coming out to see him and he looks at the multitudes and his heart breaks. He had compassion on them because they need somebody to help them. In that text, he comes down and says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what's happened in our Bible-believing churches? We have become so strong on our doctrine, so strong in our stands against sin, And by the way, I don't apologize. Mm -hmm. Never have, not going to start now. Hope to die, an old man. I don't apologize. (laughs) Sin, sin, folks, it's wrong. This world has lost its cotton-picking minds. Do you understand that? Now, that being said, we shouldn't look at sinners with a hateful heart. We should have compassion on them. You know what they need? Help. You know what I want them to know? I want them to know that that preacher over there on 10 Mile Road, he sure is old school. He goes by the book. He doesn't agree with me or my lifestyle or however else you want to put it. But when I really need help, I can go to that guy and he'll pray for me and he'll open up the Bible and he'll help lead me to God. Some compassion. Compassion. Paul's heart was overwhelmed with the fact that his brethren, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, wouldn't get saved. Now, is it fair to say Paul had a burden for the Jews? The Jews rejected Paul three times in Acts 13, Acts 18, and Acts 28. Three times the Jews rejected Paul. Paul continued to press that burden. But let me ask you a question since you know your Bibles. Did Paul have a call to the Jews? What was Paul called to? He said, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. So you know what that tells you? A burden is not a call. Listen to me. I guarantee you, I can get you guys on a plane we can go to some mission fields. And you will not come back the same. I can take you to mission fields that literally will change your life. Change your perspective on life. So you've got to go there for at least a week. Better to be there for about two weeks. So that the excitement and the newness wears off, you know. So you can lay there sweating all night long because it's so ungodly hot. Hot that you cannot sleep and there's no air condition. And it's such a poverty-stricken area that you leave the fans on and you leave them plugged into the wall, but 3 o'clock in the morning, the electric kicks on and the fan starts blowing on you, and that's how you know the power got turned on in that district and it's on for maybe an hour and gets shut off because they're rotating the power around the city. Every day you walk up to the market to get the meat fresh because it doesn't stay fresh in the fridge or freezer. And you go there, and I'll tell you this much, after the newness wears off, and you get looking around at the need, and then you watch the way they respond to the gospel, you get out in the city park, and you start passing out gospel tracts to all of them. It's third world country. They don't got jobs. So you start walking around passing out gospel tracts, and you're, you're the American, and they just start, they just start coming out of nowhere. Jump up on a wall, and you're standing on the concrete wall, and you start preaching, and they sit down two, three hundred people in a congregation, just like that, sitting down in the park listening to you preach. Whew. You go back at night and lay down, and say, "I can't sleep, man. What am I doing in America?" You get a burden. A burden that'll mess you up, boy. But and a, a, yeah, you know what the burden will do? The burden will get you to go. You'll pack up and go. You'll sell your house. I'm, I'm serious. Burden will get you to go. But a burden will not keep you there. Because after a year, two years, three years, five years, and the newness wears off, and the nationals figure out you're not a free flow of cash from the U.S., you better be called a God to be where you are, doing what you are. You don't take things on yourself. Well, there's a need. So? Let me say this. If you're not going to be a soul winner right now, I'm talking like tomorrow when you go to work, if you're not going to care about the people you work with, if you're not going to care about the people at your Kroger or your Walmart or your Meyer where you go, where you attend, if you're not going to care about the gas station clerk where you pump gas, if you're not a soul winner here, you won't be a soul winner there. Yeah, it's a lot easier when you're on a missions trip and nobody knows you and is ever going to see you again. But if you won't be a witness at the gym or at the ball team or whatever you're into, whatever your hobby or sport is, if you won't be a witness there, you won't be a witness on a mission field either. You're called to God to be a witness. We're all called to be witnesses. I'd say you all got to turn into you know soul-winning evangelists. But you can't find somebody to talk to. You can't care about somebody's soul. I think if we went weeping... If we went like Paul with a broken heart, we might reach more people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. A burdens one thing, a call, is something else. When it comes to the ministry go to Hebrews chapter five. let me show you something. When it comes to the ministry, I want to say this: I don't care how much you want to be a preacher. I think one of the greatest things you could probably do at most preachers' conferences is preach a real good message on the difference between a burden and a call and then give an invitation and say, this is the invitation. Any of you guys that are doing something God didn't call you to do, I want you to come down here and repent, get right, and get out of the ministry. And sit in a church somewhere where you can be a blessing to a pastor and now that you've experienced what it actually is instead of what you thought it was. I don't want to come across like I'm complaining. I don't want to come across like I don't love with all my heart and soul what I do. I love it. Literally, I love it. When I'm preaching, when I'm pastoring, I'm a fish in water. And there's only one reason I love it. Do you know what? I have a burden for it right now. I have a burden. I have a growing burden. I didn't have a burden at first. I had a call. It's the only reason I'm still here. Hebrews five verse four, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Do you see that, folks? You don't you don't take honor to yourself. I don't care what kind of burden you have for the Jews. If God didn't call you to the Jews, don't go to the Jews. They came telling him, witnessing to him, the Holy Ghost, witnesses in every city, the bonds and afflictions abide you. Paul, don't rebel against what God's telling you. None of these things move me, neither kind am I, like dear unto myself, I might I, finish my course with joy. Paul went directly against God's will to go preach to the Jews and wound up in jail as a result of it, over a burden. Back to Romans chapter 9. Can I say this without being mean or coming across harsh? that's when I know I'm going to say something that seems mean and harsh, but I really don't mean it mean and harsh, okay? (laughs) Mamas, please don't put it in the heads of your little boys that they're preachers. Please. You can ask my wife all the time. No, not all the time. Occasionally, I'll get in the car and say, I'll bet you anything that guy sooner or later comes to me and tells me that he's called to preach. I would never say it to him. Don't put that in your kids' heads. You might see little things you think are signs and symptoms, and they might be, and by the way, they might not be. I grew up in a culture where the highest honor and the greatest status you could get in the youth rally and the youth camp and the church revivals and the greatest honor that a preacher can have is to get up and say, I'm a trainer of men. We got so many preachers in this little church, you wouldn't believe it. I'm here to train the preachers. That's a culture I grew up in. I think the devil gets in there. I think it's a great way to ruin your marriage, a great way to ruin your family, and a great way to ruin a church. But if God's called you to preach, then you answer the call. And you've got to settle that between you and God. And you've got to know for sure God called you. I've watched preachers destroy powerful churches because they wanted to be something God didn't make them. Hey, if you're a great singer, if you're a great Sunday school teacher, Hey, just because you're a preacher doesn't mean you're called the pastor. If you're a great preacher and you get plenty of success on the street and you get plenty of success in the jails and the nursing homes, and why, why isn't that good enough? Don't take honor unto yourself because it's not honor at all. And the judgment seat of Christ is going to expose it. And between here and there, you're asking for nothing but burdens, problems, troubles, and trials. And you will be on your face in your office crying out to God, calling on Him to do something He never asked you to do anyhow. And He's not going to help you out until you figure it out. But if God called you, if God called you, if God called you to be a pastor, don't you dare stoop to become the president of the United States of America. Yeah. I don't care if you've got 15 people in your church and that's all you ever have. Those are God's people. He said, love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Feed them. He didn't say, how many is there? Yeah. Just feed what I gave you. It's a great thing if God's in it. So Paul had a burden but not a call. Now look at verse 4. Who are Israelites. To whom. See how clear that is by the way. Who are Israelites. What? His brethren. His kinsmen. Of He's talking about Jews. Right? No doubt. To whom pertaineth the adoption. And the glory. And the covenants. And the giving of the law. And the service of God. And the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God blessed forever Amen verse 5 is a great verse on the deity of Jesus Christ so of course the new Bibles attack it now in verse number 3 uh, verse number 4 the Israelites are Paul's kinsmen and what pertains to them is the adoption the glory you guys remember that Mount Sinai and the tabernacle God's showing up to who did he show up to? Jews right? And the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, that's not all the covenants though. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. See that? There's a new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I, when I took the, uh, them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continue not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. You guys see that? He said, okay, they didn't keep my covenant back there. Isn't that what everybody says? Well, since they rejected Jesus Christ, they're not keeping his covenant, he cut them off and the church has replaced them, right? That's replacement theology. That's going to mess up everything for you. That's going to ruin your excitement when you watch the news. Because as a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian with proper biblical eschatology, biblical doctrine on the end times... When you watch the news and see the way things are shaping up against Israel and all the rest of that stuff and what's coming out of this, it gets you excited that Jesus is coming soon. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Has that happened yet? That's future. You mean he broke them off, which we'll see in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He broke them off and graft us in. He's going to break us off and graft them back in. God's got a covenant with Israel. God's not done with Israel. So these idiotic yahoos, I don't care how many listens and likes and all that stuff they get on their YouTube channels, folks. Just because somebody has hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands or millions of views on their YouTube page doesn't mean they're giving you sound Bible doctrine. This generation, that, that's credibility to this generation. You gotta, I'm going to kick that thing till I die, okay? I'm going to bite it until my teeth fall out. Then I'm going to bite with my dentures till they get stuck. Then I'm going to gum it to death. You understand what I'm saying? That stuff is not credibility. That means nothing. That is, that is science. You can actually figure out a logarithms and how to make stuff go viral with the right people around you. You can make stuff get out there. That's not God. So just because you're looking at somebody's YouTube channel and everybody else is subscribing and everybody else is watching and everybody else is talking about them, you don't know that individual. You don't understand their life and their testimony. Stop biting on everything you watch on YouTube. I know you're not. I'm just getting in the preaching mood. You understand what I'm saying? Go back to Romans chapter 9. That stuff drives me crazy, man. So God's not done with Israel permanently. So these things all pertain to them. The giving of the law, that's obvious. And the service of God in the tabernacle. And the promises. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very simple. Very obvious. All right? So let me show you something here about the elect. Because we talked about the elect last week. And he's saying, Whose are the fathers as concerning the flesh? Christ came. Now, I'll just tell you this without running all the references, but I do want you to look at two. So go back to the book of Isaiah. All the way through your Old Testament, and from Matthew 1 all the way up till Romans 8, Every time the word elect shows up, except for one that I'm going to show you tonight, it is in reference to Israel. How can these brilliant Calvinists, brilliant guys that can tell you what the, did I tell you where to go in Isaiah? Isaiah 42. How can these brilliant Calvinists, these brilliant guys that can get into the mind of God and determine how all this worked in eternity past and all the rest of that stuff, not read simple plain English? They can go back and tell you Hebrew wor- wor- root words and Greek root words and all the rest of that stuff, but they can't read English. They can't run references. I don't understand that. I just, I, yeah, you say you're making fun of them. I am. You're kicking them. I am. You know why? I'm kicking theologians that give you false doctrine. I'm not kicking God's people. I'm not kicking church members. I'm, I'm, I'm all for God's people. And some of God's people are very confused because of idiot theologians that mess their minds up and confuse them, and lead them astray based on their own ego and their own agendas. I, I don't have an agenda. My job, as you can see, you see what I'm doing, can't you? Can you tell? Have you been coming here long enough to figure out what I'm doing going through the Bible doing the best I can to learn my Bible study my Bible lay it out praying over it begging God to help me make it make sense to you and then teaching you what God says so you can open it up and the Holy Ghost of God can teach you and bear witness in your conscience to the truth that's being taught from this book it's that simple Isaiah chapter 42 look at verse 1 behold my servant whom I uphold uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus Christ is? He's the elect of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45 verse 4. Isaiah 45.4 For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine what? Didn't I show you last week that there's no doctrine anywhere in the Bible of unelection? When God elects something it's done. That's why you're eternally secure because you become the elect when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior in the New Testament you become part of the elect by trusting his elect the one that he foreordained in eternity past the one he picked. Was Jesus. That's the one he picked. And if you want to become one of the ones he picks. You've got to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. And if you'll ask Jesus Christ to save you right here. Right now. Right where you're sitting. If you're not saved. If you'll ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. He'll save you right where you are right now. But if you don't. Then you don't. Now we've already talked about how God's already over an eternity future. Right? So God's foreknowledge. Since he's I inhabit eternity, so where is he? He's in eternity past, right now. Where is he? He's right here, right now. But where is God? Oh, he's in eternity future, right now. You can't figure that out. It makes a lot more sense than a big bang. You know, I, I'll give you that. It does make a little more sense than that. But you can't figure that out. Human mind can't understand God. You can't fathom how powerful He is. So His foreknowledge, since He's already in eternity future. And he gives you the book of Revelation looking back. And he sees you out there already. He knows what decision you made. Mm Does that make sense? Doesn't mean he determined you were going to make it. So I I like to say it to lost people. So what decision does God know you made? Or some of you Christians that are on the fence. You know you're thinking about messing up. You're flirting around with some sin. You're messing with some stuff you shouldn't be messing with. And you're thinking you can control it, but before no. I wonder what decisions God knows you're going to make tomorrow. You know what that does? That scares the fire out of me. That makes me step back and go, I want to make sure God knows I made the right decisions, so I'm going to make it right now to make sure he knows that later, that the end of my life that he already knows all about, I'm going to, right now, I want to make the right decision because I want his eternal decrees to recognize I made the right decisions. You can't put that responsibility on God. He told Eve not to do it. She did it anyways. Well, okay, stupid. Now live with the repercussions of your actions. I don't say stupid to be mean to you. I say it. To, we all have done it, right? Yeah. Hello, I'm, I'm preaching for myself too. Okay, stupid. Now you have to deal with it. It wasn't God's fault. It's my fault. Yeah. It's your fault. I hate that doctrine. I think it's terrible. So you've got to understand who the elect is. Back to Romans chapter 9. So there's no doctrine of unelection. Now, verse number 6, he says, not as though the word of God had taken none effect. You know, there were some Jews that got saved. The word of God did have some effect. But watch this. For they are not all Israel. Right? Does that make sense so far? They're not all Israel who are of Israel which are of Israel. Okay, wait a minute. You're not a Jew. Right? We have, we have one half Jew in here and a, and a couple quarter Jews in here. The rest of you aren't Jewish. Shame on the rest of us. Really, according to God, that's the superior race. Just so you know, the rest of us are all just Gentiles. Isn't that funny how they're the most persecuted people there's ever, been down, there's ever been down through the centuries? So he said, you're of Israel, but you're not Israel. So where do these preachers come off with this doctrine saying you've replaced Israel? That we get all the promises because we're the Israel of God and we get all the promises that God gave to the Jews they are now given to us. God didn't promise you a land grant. God's not going to put you over there in the, in, in the promised land. That ain't for the church. Folks, that stuff's insanity. Verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall my seed be called. Now wait a second. Abraham had some seed that was not called his child. Isn't that interesting? So God said, Abraham, I'm counting your son. Take thy son, thy what son? Thine only son, Isaac? And offer him for me? But y'all know he already had Ishmael. I think we're going to become a tag team before long. (laughs) Let me show you something. Go back to Acts chapter seventeen. I love it. Don't bother me a bit. Acts chapter seventeen, look at verse twenty eight. Y'all keep laughing, so Acts seventeen, twenty-eight. For in him we live and move and have our being. In who? In God. Lost people. You didn't get yourself, I don't care if you're saved or not, you didn't get yourself out of bed this morning. You didn't bring yourself out of the womb. You didn't cause yourself to be conceived in the womb. Who voted Who, who voted in heaven with God? It's like, you know what, I don't want to be born over there in the Middle East with a towel on my head. I don't want to be born in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I want to be born in the United States of America. I know you hate the country. I know everybody hates the country now, but we got it pretty good compared to most people in the world. Yeah. Who, who voted on that you see that's why this stuff gets me so mad when people pick on other people I, I hate it i can't stand it when people like you know oh you're ugly and you're fat and you're dumb and you're this and you're that and you don't have the social status i got you're not economically where i'm at and all this kind of stuff like to me that just aggravates the fire out of me even if you have worked hard and earned all you got because you're a self-made man and proven yourself how did you even get here What makes you think you're so much better than somebody else? You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a little more. I'm preaching at the youth group right now, I guess. I'm probably preaching at all of us. But I'd like to see a little bit more of the cool kids being nice to the not cool kids. You know, the ones who have to finish high school four years late because they got a work ethic. And they're not going to give up and quit. And they go through it being made fun of their whole life. Those people have feelings too. And emotions too. But because you think you're all that, you're some big shot and you're so important, you're going to make fun of them. It's all I can do to control myself sometimes. I've never been able to handle a bully, I cannot stand it. You know how you got life? God. You know why you're still alive? God. You know if you wake up tomorrow morning? God. You're going to wake yourself up tomorrow morning. You, he, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, you know what that makes you? That makes you his offspring. It doesn't make you his son. He says, uh, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art or man's devices, or man's device. You see that? So there's the difference between offspring and a son. So Abraham had offspring, but not all of his offspring was counted as a son. Okay, good. Go to Romans chapter 9. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to wrap it up here for tonight. Just give me another verse or two here and we'll wrap it up for tonight. So in verse 7, neither because they are the seed of Abraham. Ishmael was his seed. But that was not God's will. That was Abraham and, and Sarah trying to figure things out. And Hagar comes into the picture and Ishmael shows up as the seed of Abraham. Man, that's, that, that would preach right there, by the way. doesn't make you a father. It's an honor to be a father. Children need a father. It's a sad generation we're in, folks. Hey, will my mother and father forsake me? And the Lord will take me up. You better believe God's got a heart for a lot of these young people wish some older people would get a heart for them too. You could help them. So neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Wait a minute. The children of the flesh rejected Jesus Christ, so they weren't children of God. But they're still the children of the promise, if you tie that back to verse 4. Do you see that? Who pertains the promises? So they're not the children of God. They rejected Jesus Christ, but He still made a promise to them. There's a covenant coming in the millennial kingdom, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 8 that I already showed you. He's going to fulfill His promises. You realize God's promise to Abraham had nothing to do with the behavior of his children? I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars of heaven. heavens. I'm going to make you a father of what? Many what? He hadn't had any kids yet. That thing was not conditioned on whether or not your kids do right. That was a covenant God made and a promise God made to Abraham that God was going to uphold because God upholds his promises. Like he's coming quickly. Like he won't leave you or forsake you. I'm thankful for a God that keeps his word. So look at the next verse. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. God made a promise to Abraham that Sarah was going to have a son That one was going to be called the child. The rest of them are seed. He's going to make them a father of many nations, which if you hang on to what I'm saying, it'll make sense to you as we keep going in the weeks to come. Because there's passages that shows you your children of Abraham. And those are the passages that the Israel replacement garbage latches onto to say, see, we're the children of Abraham. Israel's not anymore. You see the trick, don't you? I can take you to specific verses and pull a specific verse out. I'll give you a great example. Judas went out and hung himself. Right? Bible. Let me show you another verse. Go and do thou likewise. Both Bible verses. See how tricky that can get? That's a trick of the trade. They pull out the verses they want you to see and they show them to you. Oh, you're children of Abraham. Oh, 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 we are. Well, yeah, he's a father of many nations. So in Christ, because the seed came through Abraham, Jesus Christ is a Jew. I'll show you this next week. You got a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish book. All the writers of the thing are Jews. Almost completely. That is a Jewish book you're holding. And your Messiah is a Jew. That explains to you why the devil wants to get this doctrine out there, attacking Israel. If he can get this doctrine out there, erasing Israel and saying they're off the map, he messes up you looking for the coming of Jesus Christ, understanding what God's doing in the world, understanding who you are in the Lord. You've got to understand this stuff. That is important. Stay away from replacement theology and stay away from Calvinism. Yeah. They're biblical midgets, and they always try to make you see how smart they are. Do I ever talk to you like I'm smart? Yeah. Thank you. Might be because I'm not. <laughs> if I was, I'd hide it. I don't want to be. I, listen, I don't think there's any pride in saying I'm stupid. You know, I'm just. I'm just. I heard preachers. say, I don't know nothing, but I know Jesus. You know. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm just saying this thing ain't all about trying to show you how smart I am that I know some original language you don't know. It's about showing you what God said and comparing Scripture to Scripture, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, and no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. If you privately interpret these passages based on that passage only, I can make you think the Bible tells you Judas hung himself and you should too. That's a private interpretation of that passage. You've got to look at the context. That's what I'm doing with you, right? Taking you down through the context. I'm actually giving you all the nuts and bolts and tools you need to read your Bible yourself and learn and evaluate doctrine and consider these things and know exactly that you got the truth from God. It's not that difficult. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed for tonight.